0: When we say the words, the talk, it probably conjures up the awkward conversation one has with their children about the birds and the bees. However, there's another talk that takes place in African-American households that many white Americans should probably be having too, and for the same reason. This is Loki Holland, and it's time to get uncomfortable. We're joined again today by freedom rider and civil rights activist, Luvon Brown. Uh, hello, Luvon, How you doing?
1: How lucky, okay, how are you?
0: Doing pretty good. You're surviving uh, the coronavirus?
1: Yeah, day after day.
0: <laughs> hey, that's well, the world we live in at the moment, so that's what it is. So for our audience, uh, particularly white America, what is the talk?
1: Well, the parents tend to have it with the children uh, of, of African-American descent. And it's really about... Um, things that are not organized that don't seem organized for them to take advantage of. And mainly it's about the police force. Uh, It's, it's how they are treated because they're black. Mm -hmm. So the, the the parents tell them like how to respond when a, um, when you're stopped by the police, you put your hands on the wheel. uh, You don't move. You wait for the police officer to, to approach you. Um, And you always be kind, uh, not kind, but respectful to a police officer, because nine times out of 10, uh, you frighten him.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: uh, He does not live in your neighborhood. He's not from where you're from. uh, And he doesn't like you for that reason, or he's afraid of you for that reason. So... Parents tend to have that kind of talk, especially with the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's with the girls as well, but especially boys. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate, but you know that's the talk we have to have to make sure that uh, our children don't get hurt.
0: Right. We've uh, we, we we've talked about your childhood growing up in Mississippi and how you had the talk, Mind you, this was under segregation and it was how to talk to a white person and and also you didn't get lynched. Right. And for for white people, we can look back and go, Yeah, but that was during segregation and people really people were like really racist then, right? Things are better now. Right. And since and since we aren't those people, what we do is okay, even if it isn't. And when I reflect on the lessons you were taught, they seem pretty much the same today. It's about how to navigate in a white world in order to survive. Right. How how not to trigger the wrath of a white person. It's this submissiveness, don't get uppity, don't be threatening. And today, this often reflects on how one interacts, like you said, with the police in particular.
1: Well, because you don't know. There are some police that are just fine. You you run into them, uh, you talk to them, You can you can be a human being around them. There are others, they're afraid or they don't like you because you're Black. And there are towns, like I say, I live in Westchester. There are towns around me that, you know, the policemen grew up in that town. They don't want anybody Black in that town because they figure, well, you're up to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to convince the police officer that you're not.
0: right. Yeah, I'm just thinking, but in, in respects to what you were taught growing up under Jim Crow, is there really that much of a difference?
1: Well, there's none, except uh, you probably won't get lynched, but you might get thrown in jail. Um, You probably will come out of the situation alive. You may or may not, but you probably will. Right. He is waiting on you to say something that... um, I don't know. Is disrespectful or it's something you shouldn't say? Because he's been told that's who you are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you have to be on your lookout that you don't do anything. So it's, it's 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 not much difference in how he's gonna look at you because you're a black male than he would look he would have looked at you before. It's just a question of what he can do to you.
0: Right. So. Studies have shown that black men, in particular, are perceived as being larger, scarier, more likely to have criminal intent than other races. Now, the word there is perceived, of course. It's it's why we have this rash of phone calls of white people calling the police for just being black. That's about it. Whether it's walking in your neighborhood, sitting at a Starbucks, or having a picnic. Sadly, all too often, though, is, is you get young kids get profiled and even killed for being threatening. Unfortunately, they do. So Trayvon Martin is a classic example of this. Yeah,
1: or or, or the kid that was in the, in the middle of uh, the streets of Chicago.
0: Right. But, you know, but so, so Trayvon's just merely just walking home in his own neighborhood. Right. Tamir Rice is this 12-year-old kid. Um, he's another tragedy. And it's a story, I want to explain the story a little bit because I think there's a lot of people who really don't understand this. And and um, so I want to play a little bit of it out for people. Sure. On November 22nd, 2014, he's Tamir's in this park in Cleveland with a toy uh, airsoft gun. And someone, white person, calls 911 on him, saying uh, that he's possibly a juvenile and was pointing the gun at people. Okay, so... That's a reasonable thing. You see someone with a gun, what well, you think is a gun, real, and they're pointing at it at people in a park, okay. But now again, they're perceiving a 12-year-old as a juvenile. Right. And where I live in Utah, it's it's not uncommon to go to the park and like, wipe the park just a couple blocks away from where I live, which it Butchers up against this lake, and you get people pull up there in their in their trucks and stuff and dressed up in camo and pull out rifles and go out and target, shoot and stuff, go walk out into the reeds and, or shoot duck and stuff. So, and no one calls the cops on them. Right. But, but the caller, the caller said on the 911 call that the gun was probably fake. And the dispatcher kept asking if the kid was black or white. Right. Three times. And apparently none of that information actually got to the police. So the police show up now, the police report three conflicting stories within a matter of days before the surveillance video footage came out that the police did not want to release because it actually revealed the truth. And what happened was, is the officers raced across the park in their squad car and Tamir reaches for his waistband and the officer jumps out of the car and shoots him from less than 10 feet. And all this takes place within two seconds. Yep. Right. Now, the interesting thing about it is the officer who was who was involved in the shooting, Timothy Lohman was a 26-year-old officer, had been deemed a, quote, emotionally unstable recruit and unfit for duty by his previous employer, which was also a police force. So you get these guys, this particular officer who's mentally shouldn't be on the job, uh, is not given the proper information, makes one quick assessment about a 12-year-old, again, who perceives him as being older and threatening and so forth than he truly is. And then proceeds to gun him down.
1: Yeah. The, uh, there's two things that are still going on. This is what I meant by psychologically, we mess with the kids. Mm-hmm. So we, somebody is, whether he was, the officer on duty was uh, mentally unbalanced or not. He got out of the car and he shot the kid because the kid was black. Right. Now, that's the reason he shot. So he's been told in his mind that Black people will kill you, so I have to to react, I have to act fast, I have to do something to this kid. Now, if that had been a white kid, he would have asked, first of all, he would have asked what the gun was, he would have asked to put the gun down.
0: Well, and we and we see that because we see that with the kid who shot up the, the the movie theater in Colorado. He's a white kid. I mean, he's armed to the teeth. They they, they captured him, right? Right, and then the right. kid, the guy who shot up the church in South Carolina. They captured him, right? He lives.
1: They had, we had a a guy here in New York, uh, in uh, in the toy store, white guy. Mm-hmm. They didn't shoot him. They captured him, right? So, so, so there's a difference the way they see the black guy, and the white guy. Right. Now, not everybody does that before. I know people who listen to this will start thinking, well, all cops not like that. Nobody said they are. But the problem is the likelihood of running across that cop goes up the darker you are. Right. Exponentially. Because he is, the cop has been told that black people are scary and dangerous. And they will kill you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, one of the things that that I had not thought about was two things. One is, what does it do to the kids? Right. That we're sitting here telling them that they could die by at the hands at the hands of a police officer, or minimally go to jail. Mm-hmm. So, the, the fear that we have for their life, we pass on to them. Right. And their teachers pass it on to them and well meaning uh, counselors pass it on to them. So they get full of fear and all we're trying to do is protect them.
0: Right. But the thing is, is we're not, as white families, we're not doing that for our kids. We don't have to.
1: And you should be. Oh, not, 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 not the fear,
0: not the anger, but that all black people are not out to kill you. Right. But you know the, but there's this this history of all of this dating back long before Emmett Till. I mean it's it's the essence of the Black Lives Matter movement, right?
1: Right. Exactly.
0: And, and like we said it's not not to say that all police officers are bad, but they should not be the judge, jury and executioner. No. Um especially for the most benign actions. Like I mean like in New York you had what Eric Garner. What was he killed for? Selling loose sales. loose cigarettes.
1: Loose loose cigarettes.
0: Yeah. Right. And
1: by the way, none of these policemen, I mean, they've really got to be egregious for them to get convicted of anything. Right. They don't get convicted.
0: Once the evidence comes out, if it even gets exposed. If it gets exposed, nothing
1: happens. Right.
0: So in 2014, there was a study that was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and it found that white male police officers were more likely to hold an unconscious. Dehumanization bias against Black people.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I had not read that, I, but I lived that. So,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and where is that coming from? I mean, because they grew up in America, right? Exactly. That's it. That's this this history that's passed down.
1: You know, we we forget sometimes what why why we have a police force. Okay. And it is not to protect poor people. It is not to protect black people. It is not to protect brown people. It is to protect white people from us. In the interest of white people. That's all that they're there for, most of them. Right. So when they act on that, that means we're not telling them to do anything different. And we're saying it's okay uh, to, uh, to kill a black person. When, when, when Trump, before he was president, he took out an ad that said they could kill all the people that were involved in attacking this white woman in the park, in Central Park, in New York, right? Mm-hmm. As it turns out, they, the, uh, the police and the uh, DA cooked up this story to change the facts to fit the story that they wanted to tell. Turns out the kids hadn't done anything. Of course not. He still said kill them. Yeah, and still stands by it. He's, right, because the kids were black. Now, they were kids. They were not dangerous people. They were kids. So shouldn't we treat children like children? Shouldn't we ask, did they do something before we assume that they did? Right. Everybody assumed that they did, even black people, because that's what they planned in the newspaper. So now all all of that stuff, the fact that people get killed, the fact that uh, these kids got arrested, all of that goes to building this fear of being
0: black in America. It is not an accident. In my other life, I'm a filmmaker, and one of my more fascinating films I created is the award-winning film titled Black, White, and Us. It's about viewing racism through the lens of transracial adoptions in Utah. Utah? Yeah, Utah. It just so happens to be the transracial adoption capital of the world. So what happens when white families who didn't believe racism existed anymore adopt a black child? Find it on Amazon Prime. Or visit LokiMulholland.com to purchase a copy for your collection. In the same study that was published by the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, the, um... They found that white female college students perceived black children that were 10 years of age or older as less innocent than their white peers. And Philip Goff, who is the author of the study, said, quote, Children in most societies are considered to be in a distinct group with characteristics such as innocence and the need for protection. Our research found that black boys can be seen as responsible for their actions at an age when white boys still benefit from the assumption that children are essentially innocent,
1: wow, yeah, well, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but that's scary, yeah, you think about that, you think about that now why do they why do they think that well society right, they've been taught that children are taught this this we 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 instill fear, mm-hmm. we think we're instilling. Something to protect people to, but we instill fear in our children. Uh, but we have to, right? Uh, because if they are seen that way, if if the studies show that the white doll is picked, the black uh, children are not children. Uh, that the police raid neighborhoods, but all of that in fact happens. It's not made up, right? So somebody is not. Completing the conversation that we have to have, right? You know, you move into a neighborhood, and you're black, so everybody moves out. Right. Well, why is that? I mean, so we come home, we tell the children, "You look, you got to be a certain way because we're gonna go live next to this white family." You know, there's something wrong with that. That perpetrates uh, this kind of stuff that you were just talking about. That this study is just showing, all it does is perpetrate it. and in our children, perpetuates it. it. What I said, yes, perpetuates it. <laughs> yeah, well, we have yeah, same difference. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what it does,
0: right? And what's interesting is, is you know, obviously whites and blacks commit crimes at roughly the same rate, but how the police res- respond to those criminals or perceived criminals. Is is striking. So blacks make up 13% of the population, but make up 31% of those killed by police, and 39% of those killed by police while not attacking the police. Right. So instantly, when confronted, the police have already made this assessment based on what they've been taught by their peers, by society, by the media.
1: We have the history of being slaves mm-hmm. or being hated by white people. On the other side of, um, But on the other side of the coin, most of the cops feel that they're better than. They're told that. They're taught that. Now, they're not any better, but they're taught that. Right. So they are put between us, the black man, and the white man. That's their job. That's their place in society. And they will they 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 carry that out to the teeth. They are not told any different. Now the ones that are told differently, you know, they, they they tend to be different. If they're not told any different, or they're told what their job is, or they're told that all black people are bad, or they're told that, they're all they see is a negative picture because they're already they believe that anyway.
0: But the interesting thing is, as well, is that you have black police officers now. Yes. And yet, somehow the system can also corrupt them in that fashion.
1: Of course it does. Well, they've had police officers who were black in Chicago for years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but, but the, the, the black people don't trust them because they have to act a certain way to be members of that society of police. Uh, they They have to be. If they're not, they're not trusted. They're not given assignments. They're not treated like they're a member of the police force. They're treated as if they're black policemen. And by the way, almost everywhere that you have black police or Spanish police, they have an organization of black policemen, Spanish policemen, so why aren't they all just policemen? Mm. Why aren't the black... Everywhere you go, there is a society of... In the police force, black people are, are separate. White people are separate. Interesting. Think about that. So why? They are poli- they're They all policemen. So that means that the, even as a black policeman is not treated as an equal. Mm-hmm. So he is generally... Rough that rougher than the white one because he has to prove something, right? Right, so they had the same thing with during slavery, they had overseers that were white, they were black, right? And they were worse than the white ones, why? Because they have to prove something, mm. because to be accepted, they have to do that, they have to show that they are not. On the side of a black person or a brown person, right? How do they show that by being tough? So when they had black policemen in, in, in Atlanta years ago, you would rather have to deal with a white one. When they had black police in Chicago, you would rather black. If you were black, you would rather deal with the with the white policeman.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the the color doesn't mean anything. They do their job. Their job is to arrest black and brown people and keep them away from white people. So I'm not saying that black people don't commit crimes because they do. And so do white people. But almost every time you see a white person arrested, charged, or whatever, it's a white cop. Right. It's not a black cop. Right? There's a reason for that. I think, that's my own thought. But all we're doing to our children are passing on the fear, the anger, the resentment that we grew up with. and But we have reason to feel that way.
0: Right, and it's necessitated by the fact that you want your kids to come home alive. Exactly. My work has taken me to a lot of places and I've been fortunate to meet some incredible people. But when I came to Selma and met Joanne Blackman Bland, I knew I was in the presence of greatness. Joanne was 11 years old when she was attacked on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday in 1965. She wasn't old enough to vote, but understood its importance enough to be there. After Selma is an in-depth look at how our right to vote has eroded since the signing of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The fight for the right to vote continues. Get informed. You can find After Selma on Amazon Prime or visit LokiMahlholland.com to purchase a copy for your collection. So, there's a film I did titled Black, White, and Us. Um, it's about racism through the lens of transracial adoption. All right. So, racism for these for these white parents who have adopted black children becomes very real and personal. Right. And I want to I want to walk through a few of these clips and discuss them with you because. I think they're they're important because they aren't the things you are going to necessarily hear on the news. And quite frankly, if if we all got as emotional as these parents about racism, this uh, the world would be a better place. Um, it's important to note that all these stories play out in Utah. Okay, this is not New York, L.A., Detroit, Baltimore. These are kids and families with advantage. They live in safe neighborhoods. They're affluent but the realities these parents face are daunting for them and especially for their children. And One of the fascinating things about the majority of these clips is that they take place in school and involve the police in some fashion. Now, we're going to talk about the school-to-prison pipeline in another episode, but it's really clear how this all works after listening to some of, these, some of these stories. So the first one I want to play for you is about a kid named Max. His mother shares the story that any parent can relate to until Max answers her question. And again, this is from the award-winning documentary Black, White, and Us. One day, Max was home with me in
3: the kitchen, and I said, Max, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, well, Mom, I really don't know because I really don't know what you can be from jail yet, so I'll have to figure out what you can do in jail, and then I'll let you know. He was in a a classroom, and uh, I would get calls every day, you know, Max is doing this and that and this and that, and it was so extreme. I, I went to the school, I, I observed, I watched what other kids were doing, and I saw other kids that weren't black doing the same behaviors, not getting suspended, not getting expelled. Max was put in a room by himself for hours and hours and hours, seen as aggressive, seen as more threatening. And I think after a certain amount of somebody telling you, Max, if you do that, you're going to go to jail you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to jail. You cannot tell a black child they're going to go to jail at age nine.
0: All right. So the story starts off simple enough. A parent is asking their child, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, what parent hasn't asked their kid that? And then Max says, I don't know. What can you do from prison? He had internalized what was taking place with these school administrators and, and teachers and stuff, if you keep acting up, you're gonna to go to jail, you're gonna to go, to go to go to jail, you're gonna to go to jail.
1: Okay. You know, we tell children uh, to listen to adults. We tell them to listen to their teachers. Uh, we tell them to listen to the policemen at this age. They, they do that. And then they go and they listen. And what a a black child is going to hear, especially in a place like Utah, is exactly that language. Why? Because they don't know him. They don't know where he comes from. They have a preconceived notion of what a black kid is going to do. They expect you to sit and be quiet. And as soon as you don't do that, you're going to jail because that's the worst place you can be.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And now this guy comes home and he has to tell his mother this. Now, the problem is black mothers may hear that all the time. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: because in, mo- in a lot of these schools, now you, they don't go to the same schools anymore, but in a lot of these places, the the black child is just a throwaway. They have to teach him, uh, but he's a throwaway. In in Utah, I mean, he's definitely going to be that. Mm-hmm. So now he's a throwaway. They want him to uh, uh, behave. They can't lock him in the pen anymore because that's uh, that's what they used to do during slavery. But they can send him to jail because that's where you belong. Right. So that's what that teacher is saying, and that that teacher has been taught that that's I have to teach this black kid, but. Uh, I'm not going to put up with anything because he's supposed to sit and be quiet. He's not doing that. Now, the fact that nobody else is doing that does not matter. Right. Those are white kids. And this is the one I'm going to take it out on.
0: You know, that's all that is. Right. Well, and, and, and the mom says this white mother goes and observes what's taking place in the classroom and says that, her black child is not doing anything different than any of the white kids, but he's get, obviously he's getting treated differently. Right. And so there's per, the perception that the teacher has already instilled in her the expectations of what his actions mean compared to when a white kid does it.
1: Right.
0: So she's projecting that bias, that unconscious bias, just as a police officer would. Exactly. So these people in authority.
1: That's a good way to put it, people in authority.
0: Because we tell we tell all the kids,
1: we tell, every parent tells their kid to, to listen to the teacher, listen to the principal, listen to the police officer. So this is what you hear when you listen. Right. And now the, the, the teacher has figured out, we got 99% of the kids are white and 1% is black. I don't care about the black kid. I don't have to because I'm not, that's not what I was told. And I was told he was going to wind up in jail so we may as well move that along. Yeah. Now, you know she—that's—that's—that's that's, that's how she was taught. I bet your money.
0: Yeah. So the next clip from Black, White, and Us is is of a mother who runs an adoption agency. Now, truth be told, she does not portray herself well in the film. Um, her biases are very evident when you watch the film, but it doesn't take away what happens to her son.
4: So let's. Give this a listen. And in one incident, he, um, he, his teacher was uh, frustrated with him and sent him to the principal's office. And he didn't want to stay in the principal's office, so he left. And there happened to be a policeman there that was doing a program with the school. And the policeman yelled at him and said, hey, you get back here. Well, that scared him. He's a fourth grader, and it, and it scared him and so he ran outside the school and he actually ran around the building and came back in the back door and went back to his classroom. And when I got up there, the the principal handed me um, a letter. Well, it was an accounting of what had happened. And I found that very confusing. I thought, well, why don't you just take me to where my son is? And I read it and I kind of got a feel for what had happened. And then they took me and he was in, um, see? (laughs) he was in the back of the police car. And as anyone who knows how a mother feels, that was so upsetting to me. And I said, why is my fourth grader in the back of your police car, handcuffed? And um, I said, because he was out of control. He's a fourth grader and after we kind of got everything settled down i was talking with the the policeman and they were saying you know he needs to be sent to a juvenile detention and i looked at him and i thought i don't even understand what what and he said he said kids like that need to be in juvenile detention and i thought just cuz he got upset and just because he ran around the school just because he was having a hard time and i it hit me you see him as black
2: hmm
4: all right so you see him as black
0: what did the police officer say that he belongs in jail yeah well fourth grade I guess
1: to somebody like me that's just <laughs> that's just the way they treat people policeman that's called a Tuesday huh yeah, yeah, it, it's it's it doesn't surprise me. It was surprised me. It surprised me when you said he was sitting in the back of the police car, handcuffed, handcuffed. Uh, but if you if you think a minute, what else are they gonna do with a black child in Miss in uh, Mississippi? See, in Utah, is they gonna send him to jail because. That's what he's been told to do because the kid is supposed to act differently because he's black. He should sit there. He should not get upset. I'm telling you, the white person who was who, who grown up in this society is exactly the same as he was during slavery. Mm. He is told that he's a black kid, he's gonna do X, whether he's seen him do it or not, and he should be in a juvenile facility because we can handle them over there, right? Well, is that different than the slave owner saying, "Well, let's put him in the box"? Well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they used to say that in jail, in uh, in jail too. It's no different, right? What the, the the it's it's difficult for the parent because this is, she's thinking, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm raising a child. She's not raising a child. She's raising a black child, right? who is gonna be treated differently by a white policeman. You can almost bet on it.
0: It's, it's a white parent raising a black child in white America. They don't
1: know what to do with
0: it. An Ordinary Hero was my first award-winning documentary. It's about the life of my mother, Joan Trumpower Mulholland, and her participation in the civil rights movement. For most of us, our mothers are heroes because they're mothers and mom is just mom. But when your mother's a civil rights icon, and yet you never really knew it, things change. Go check out An Ordinary Hero and find out how choosing to do what was right instead of what was easy helped change the world. You can find it on Amazon Prime or visit LokiMalHolland.com to purchase a copy for your collection. In, in another clip from Black, White, and Us, uh, we interviewed a guy by the name of Jeffrey Mann. And so Jeffrey was uh, adopted. Uh, I think he was from uh, uh, Atlanta, and uh, he, he's he's a big dude. He's in college now, and and he plays rugby and football. And actually, in fact, in Utah, if he wears um, you know like a, a jersey, or shirt of a local team, like the Utes or BYU, right. everyone assumes he must be playing for the team gotcha. because he's black, okay. right? Because right. why else would a black person be in Utah,
1: right? Exactly. Yes, the, I've often wondered the same thing.
0: <laughs> so his story is about a time he was in high school Okay. and here's, uh, here's Jeffrey Mann in his own words my
1: senior year I was sitting in my English class and I open one of my textbooks and I
3: look and they've drawn me hanging from a tree and okay I open another textbook and it's the same thing and so I, I walk out of class take my textbooks to the office and I kind of slam them down And the counselor says to me,
1: what's the big deal? And by this time, I'm furious. And so I storm out of the office. And the next thing I know, the cops have been called. And so I'm thinking, OK, maybe the cops are coming. They're going to look at the textbooks. But the reason the cops were there would have followed me around to make sure I didn't hurt anybody. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a good
1: example of blaming the victim.
0: (laughs) I was thinking the same thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what that is. Now, the thing we have to ask ourselves is why couldn't either the, the principal or somebody or the police officer react to that as it's the wrong thing to do, to draw that picture, take his side? But none of them did that. Right. Right? None of them took his side. The, 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 the policeman said, what's the big deal? The, poli- the principal, what's the big deal? Why didn't they take his side? They didn't take his side because he was a big black man and they were more concerned about him causing hurt to uh, the principal or the teacher or the policeman than anything else. It never occurred to them that he could be hurt by something as simple as somebody drawing a picture showing a hanging. Nobody could understand that. But here he is looking at something where somebody has drawn a picture of him hanging. And all that history of hangings that took place in the United States, he's now living. It doesn't doesn't matter whether he, whether it was a picture or not. All of that history now is a part of him. And the policeman, whose job it is to protect white people, follows him around the school.
0: Right. Not... The other kids who
1: did this. No, no. Even if the the teacher had said, let me see that. That's wrong. Whoever did this, that's wrong. To validate this young man, they didn't do that. So all of the validation that he was going to get is going to come from the parents at home. That's it. The larger society is not going to do that.
0: This comes back to that again to that study that male police officers are more likely to hold an unconscious dehumanization bias. So animals don't have feelings. Right. Chattels
1: don't either. Exactly. That is why we have to learn how to talk to our children without causing all of the the, the doing psychological damage. Right. That they don't live the same way we did but they understand that there are 90 or 80% of the police force because their town's right near I live in, in Westchester. 20 minutes from here is a town that the guy, I had a friend that lived there. He was white. And he mm-hmm. explained to me, he says, look, be careful in this town because the police officers don't like black people. Mm. Can you imagine that? The police officers. Serve and protect. Serve and protect and they do that. They do a good job of that. We are incidental. If we don't happen to live in a place where uh where the police has taken it on themselves that they will serve and protect everybody, mm-hmm. then you you, you you pays your money, you take your chances. But something has to be done so that we're not terrifying our children. And that's what we
0: do. No no, in this discussion itself I can I I I, I can sense that the pain and the hurt and the history that you're carrying from your experiences and that if you're having the talk, you know, the talk with your child, that now you're, you would, how hard would it be not to bring that into it? It's
1: difficult because you don't, it, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Right. You have to, you have to do, you have to tell them that. You know, I, I've told my child my history. She understands that. Sure. But I have to also tell her how I, how I what survival is about. Right. Why you don't drive a red car through a white neighborhood. Not in Mississippi. I'm talking about in New York. So how why you might get stopped, depending on the color car you're driving. Uh, they might think you're uh, 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 transporting drugs if you drive X car. They might think, you know, so I don't, You, you, you it, it has to come through. Sure. Uh, but I don't know what else to do because I'm telling you, and I've been stopped by the cops several times. No ticket, no nothing. Everybody was fine. But I followed the rules. I didn't argue. Um, I was, you know, I, I've done it enough. And I didn't resent doing it. I just knew that was how you survived.
0: You know, there's something that just kind of came to mind about that because as I was thinking about that, I was thinking of the word, you know, back talk. You know, you didn't give any back talk. None. And these thi- these things of being out of your place and back talk. It's like we want you to be like a child, a good child. Right. We're not going to see you as a as adults. So here you are, and a dog getting pulled over by the police, and you have to act like an obedient child. Well, I have to be
1: non-threatening. Right. As a black person, sure. non-threatening,
0: whatever that means to that police officer that day,
1: exactly. Because it could mean it could be. I had a guy at work once said to me, "says What did you say to this guy?" I said, "I didn't say anything to him," because he was trying. I was trying to get a ticket taken care of,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the, and and this guy could do that, but this cop, just I don't know. He just hated me, mm. without me. I, I was always the same but he just had it in for me. Yeah. And you never know when you're going to run into that cop. And what what what's 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 more scary is cops who know better, who fe- think differently, will not say a word. Right. So you're screwed. You know, uh, because you 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 can't depend on the cop who knows that that's wrong to do mm-hmm. anything. Why? Because then he's not a member of the club. So,
0: I don't know. So, I want to play another clip from the award-winning film, Black, White, and Us. This is uh, Melody Linton, is a, is a white mother of two black children. Okay. And she and her husband, Curtis. Uh, Curtis Linton, run a foundation called the Domino Foundation to help parents and children who are in this situation, you know, white parents navigating the world of raising black children in America. Right.
5: He has been asking us since Trayvon Martin and we have to discuss everything with him because he can't go outside of our home and use a plastic water gun, or he can't use a plastic bow and arrow outside of our home. We tell him, in our home, you can do this, but outside of our home, you may not because we we have been told and we have watched on the news that um, the law does not protect our son as it does everyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, people call the police for little boys who are um, innocent and um, playing with toys. And um, accidents happen when um, um, people think that there's something wrong. And, and that's something I never thought about before. But through my reading and my um, learning and listening to other people, I realized that I have to do these extra things. We've talked to our son yeah. when he drives what to do. But you know what he said to me? He said, what if the police ask me to dance and I do and he still shoots me? And that's when I thought, oh, my gosh. That's a lot to bear. Uh,
1: you know, i it's interesting. I used to live in a, you know, it's funny. My mind flashed on. When I lived in Jackson, I had a, a cap pistol. I had water pistols. I had all kinds of stuff. The difference was I lived in an all-Black neighborhood. They understood that I was a child. Now, they were not afraid of me, Uh, but as soon as you get around a a neighborhood full of white people, you're different. Mm. And I feel for this mother, I really do, because most white people are living with the vestiges of slavery without realizing it Mm. and black people realize it right and that's the difference it doesn't surprise me that she had to tell her children that in a white neighborhood why because they were black people they had guns
2: Mm -hmm.
1: the police come the job is to protect they shoot the kids right Or they don't shoot the kids, they take them to prison. Whatever the case, a black family would not react to that. The kids haven't a gun, I mean. But white people do. They are still living with the vestiges of slavery. Every piece of news that they get is about that.
2: Hmm.
0: So I want to come back to the story of Max one last time. Sure. Uh, and this this particular clip is a fascinating look at what these parents are trying to do, and is a, a reflection of what it means about us. Okay. So here's here's Max's mom, Carol, and black, white, and us. There's this
3: moment where you realize there's only so much you can do to protect him. You can teach him what to do when a cop pulls you over. You can you can try to teach the community of his friends and people around him. But we realize that he benefits from our white privilege when he's with us, but he doesn't when he's not with us. And so I feel like it's also, it's hard and it's tricky for him because he's used to going, navigating the world with two white parents and benefiting often from our white privilege. But then he's a black man where when he's alone he is not benefiting from our white privilege, so we, we have to figure out that that line and how to prepare him to be okay and to to come home alive when he's not with us.
1: Huh. Yeah, you know one of the things that you're never taught, uh, but you learn, is how to survive as a black man. And I think that what, what what she just said about you know when they're together it's it's they they uh, they survive on on their white privilege.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, by the way, a lot of people resent that because the privilege part, right? And they resent it whether they're black or white, but they especially because they're white,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they don't they can't live up to that, right? So so here are these black folks living the good life and I'm struggling mm-hmm. or whatever. But you you learn how to be black in America. Right. You know, you learn that the policeman may be your friend, maybe not. And he's not your friend until you become an adult and you uh, you have a job. And you as a child, you don't stand, well, that's not true. I'm just—that was anger. But <laughs> I was about to say you don't stand a chance. But right, you learn by 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 being in places where you have to be a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you have to talk a certain way. Now, that's not always true. Yeah. But people in Utah or people in upstate New York learn that. You are learning that. Mm-hmm.
0: Want a great way to help a worthy organization and educate children about the civil rights movement? Visit our foundation, the Joan Trump Power Mulholland Foundation, at the jtmfoundation.org. That's the jtmfoundation.org. T H E Foundation.org. We are a 501c3 established to help end racism through education. A $5 monthly recurring donation will provide curriculum for 30 students. As my mother used to say, I can't do everything but I can do something because doing nothing is not an option. If you have wanted to help in this cause, but didn't know how, now you can. The Joan Trump Power Mulholland Foundation at the JTMfoundation.org. This just came to mind actually is, is so here, obviously Max has this safety net of being around his white parents. That's what his mom is saying when he's with us, he's got this privilege because everything's okay. When he's on his own, he's just a black kid. Right. Uh, Is there safety for African-Americans being around white friends? Uh, In, in, In the sense that like Max has that safety. So it's like, all right, well, as long as I got my white friends here, things should be pretty chill. Well, he's less threatening. Right.
1: First of all. But he's not necessarily safe, but he's less threatening. Why? Because he's talking to white people and that's okay mm. because they then we know who he is now we can place him he's a safe one right yeah he's a safe one so yes i never thought of it but you do you're treated differently
0: right but if you know if you know you're going to be treated differently would an african american drift towards or quickly quickly try to make friends in a situation to make sure that they're safe
1: well, there's, that's one way to look at it. The other way is, the more black people are around, the safer you are. Right.
0: But the more black people are around, uh, now the white people don't feel safe, and it's time to bring in the police.
1: Exactly. So you have to learn how to live in America. Right. You know, the neighborhood that I live in, the chief of police, well, he was the chief of police. He's, he's no longer there. But our town, the guy that runs our town, uh, doesn't mind black people. Right. You know, it's, it's cool. You go two times over, it's not the same. But I know that. Right. So I, I tell my daughter that. But by the way, when you go to Eastchester, they're going to treat you differently, or they might treat you differently.
0: And it's interesting you make this, you, you, you said this phrase, It's you, you have to learn how to live as a black person in America. Uh, white people don't have to learn how to live in America. We just live. Right. They do. That's privilege. That's privilege. So I I guess one of the things that strikes me about the clip is simply the fact that, one, we as, when I say we, white parents, we don't have to think about any of this. We send our kids out into the world with the idea that they're coming home. Exactly. And sure, yeah, we warn them about stranger danger and those sort of things. Don't talk to strangers. Right. But I've never had to warn my kids about the police. Right. It also reflects how our actions and thoughts impact these kids and families as well. So us independently, meaning white people, uh, how we project onto these kids can greatly impact you know, these black kids greatly impact their lives. Tamir Rice being a great example of that. Someone sees him, calls the police, wherein if it was a white kid, yeah, it's probably a toy gun.
1: It's okay. They wouldn't have called the police. Probably would have said something first. Yes. Hmm. Because they, no, they, they you don't need the police. What for? That's a white kid. Right. And he's got a gun. I don't think he's got a real, the woman said, I think it's a toy gun. Right, but the police weren't hearing that. Right. Now, if she had said, said it's a white kid, I think it's just playing with a toy. It it's, seems to be harmless, but I want to let you guys know. They would approach it totally differently. The guy wouldn't have come out of his car shooting, which is what he did.
0: Right, two seconds, bam. Well, of course,
1: black kid, gun.
0: It all adds up, right? Because
1: in his mind, in his mind, a black kid with a gun, a matter of eleven, twelve, ten, doesn't matter. He might shoot somebody.
0: Well, I see him bigger, anyways, because you know, black boys, black kids yeah. are. We project that they're older.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here are these white parents having the talk with their black children. Right. But what if white parents were having the talk with their white children as well? What if they were relating to them what children who no fault of their own are placed in a different situation than them merely because of the color of their skin? So what if these parents talk to the children about how they can be a part of the solution and not part of the problem and raise their level of awareness and empathy?
1: Right.
0: So it's flipping the script on the talk going, hey, look, we want you to understand what black people have to go through in America. Right. Imagine if white parents were having that talk with their kids.
1: I think they should.
0: And how you can help.
1: There's two things. I, I think two, two, two things. I think white parents need to have the talk about what it means to be the white kid. Right. That's number one. Not, not what it means... To, what it means to be the white kid, how the police are going to react, how society in general is going to react because that's a white kid and not a black one. Right. And then you can talk about what it means to be a black kid in the same situation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: See, they never talk about, white people don't talk about what it means to be the white kid. Honestly, talk about. Right. So if they did, the kid would understand, wait a minute, you know, I'm living a life of, of privilege. The kid has to learn that on his own or a black person has got to teach it. But his parents should tell him, you know, by the way, you are who you are because of me. Right. For instance, my daughter was had, had met these, these girls at school mm-hmm. and the, the kids, they were white girls and they had uh, their parents were, were wealthy, but very wealthy. So my daughter came home and said, you know, these rich kids, these rich kids, these rich kids. I says, they don't have anything. (laughs) The parents have money. They are broke. They, They got, you got more than they do. I says, there's no difference. So go talk to them. Now, why did the parents tell them that? Why did the parents tell them, you know, we have a lot of money. We can do whatever. And as a result, you can do whatever so that the child understands their place in society. But they don't tell them what it means to be a black kid or a brown kid or a red kid, a, a person of color in that environment. So they just told the kid what it means to be a white kid that, that lives in that world. Now, now let me tell you what it means to be a black kid living in that world and, and talk to them and have them understand and take them to a black neighborhood if necessary. Show them to the kids in the playground and says, that kid is your equal. Hmm. And you can talk to him now or you can talk to him later but that's your equal. Now here's how he gets treated in society simply because he's black or brown or red or whatever. Now the child begins to understand and you you don't do this once, you do this a few times. Right. Now, where I come in is when I go to the schools and what have you, I not only now I talk about what it meant, my growing up in the movement, but my growing up in general,
2: mm-hmm.
1: what my parents did, what, my, what people around me did. I talk about drugs. I talk about all of that so that the kid understands. Now the kid's got something to relate it to. Mm-hmm. The kid now knows, hey, but for the luck of the drawer, that could be me, right? So now it's okay to approach that kid because that kid's not going to kill me. right? I'm not afraid of that kid, except the kid makes threatening moves. But because of the, I'm not afraid of him because he's black, or I'm not afraid of him because he's brown. But we don't do that. The white parent teaches the kid the negatives about the black kid. The black parent does the same thing without realizing it
0: right well, and we and, and and white parents teach their kids about white supremacy, if you will, they do without even realizing that they're teaching it
1: absolutely, absolutely
0: now, when I say white supremacy, I'm not talking burning crosses and you know swastikas and so forth. I'm talking about societal white's position in society is on top
1: that kid that asked me the question. When I was speaking up in Connecticut, how does it feel to be a black person sitting here telling a bunch of white kids about the racism in America? Right. Now, that was an honest question. Sure. But what is a question? Why doesn't he know that? Right. Why does it matter that there's a black person telling him that? No, it did. And I, I gave him the honor of an answer. But think about that a minute, that that kid is asking me that question not his parents, Hmm.
2: right?
1: Yeah. How do I feel? I don't feel that good. But, or or how did you fight? I didn't fight racism. I grew up understanding my place in it.
2: Hmm.
1: His parents should tell him that. I, I can help by reinforcing that so that it doesn't sound strange. Now you've actually met a person who lived through that. That's different than for the first time, you hear that
0: and here's a part of society that's such a dynamic part of our of who we are in regards of race and racism, and you're not hearing it in school, you're not hearing it from your parents and, and yet it's such a vital thing as as I mean how to relate to people and particularly in this dynamic of race, we don't teach that nope, we don't talk about that
1: so the, so here's what happens so this kid who has lived among white people all his life, meets this black person, says the wrong thing, because right. that's what he's been taught, says the wrong thing. The black person gets mad, goes about, talks to his friends, and he doesn't talk to this white kid anymore. Right. And the white kid, in all righteousness, says, what is he mad about? He doesn't know. So it's up to us, the black guy, to tell him what, what was wrong. Right. But we, instead of doing that, we pull him to a corner somewhere. So it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. And the kid now he's learned. So now he knows. Right. Because
0: I told him. But now he's got a negative connotation to go along with that, and of course perpetuates the mythology. Exactly. And and that's that's why I brought those clips in from the film uh, Black, White, and Us. which is available on Amazon Prime, or go to our website and and you can find it there as well but it's it's a fascinating exploration of these white parents who never really talked about racism at all, really actually kind of thought it was over, and then they adopt these children right and now they're these crusaders because it's real it's and it's very very personal, and we should all be having the talk we should. Well, LeVon, I know dinner's on the table for you, so we uh, better say goodbye, but... (laughs) Didn't mean to get you that hot, man. You were uh, pretty fired up this time. (laughs) I I say the word police, and man, you just go. Oh, well... That's a a trigger for you. (laughs) Oh, God. All
1: right, my friend.
0: Thank you again for listening. Make sure you head to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Mulholland. Show a little love if you can, and get access to even more content. Until next time, don't be afraid to get uncomfortable.